So let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your um, compassion toward us. Thank you for your uh, involvement with our lives, Lord, that you did not leave us without your word, without understanding of who you are, uh, what is our place in this world, and what is our goal in life. You have revealed all these things to us as your children, and as we studied previously, you have given us the Holy Spirit to help us to understand and to apply it to our lives. I do pray, Lord, that as we progress in our study and um, just going through the methodology of studying scriptures diligently, may we find more and more um, involvement with the principles that we're learning in a sermon or um, in different venues, Lord. They were so exposed to different uh, good content here in our church, and we want to take those things to heart and become doers of your word and not just listeners. And we pray all these things in the precious name of your son. Amen. All right. So I said last week that we're, we're already moving on the different types of genres that we're studying scripture letters, um, narrative, and Old Testament law, prophecy, all those things. But the more I thought about it, I was like, no, I don't want to skip a whole thing. And the, the general principles of application thought it was really missing. So I did update the schedule in there. So if you noticed, there's normally two classes for each of the different genres. Like you start in the lesson 13, New Testament letters. We have two classes for that one. And, and for each one of those, we'll have two. And the way that we're going to format that is the first class will focus on the unique characteristics of that particular genre of interpretation and maybe some general principles. And then the second half, uh, or the second class on that topic, will focus on application. So how do we get to apply some of um, the specifics of the genre here? Um, and then we'll give some examples, some passages that we're going to study and try to make the, you know, make the process there of coming from interpretation all the way to application, all right? Okay, so um, as a way of introduction, I've been thinking this is something having my heart since my time in seminary. There was just such a struggle, and Michael can attest to that, um, for us to approach Scripture just... Uh, purely uh, academically, because we had so much, so much that we studied. And even, I think, in the, in the counseling program, um, even though we're forced to write an application, <laughs> um, because you're doing that so much, you, you just, it goes over your head, and you're not really meditating and pondering. So uh, there, there is a zeal, um, especially when I listen to someone preaching, um, how I wonder what's their view of application. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, and so it says here, so I use a few different uh, books, and I, that's why I have some notes there for you. <clears throat> um, Christians tend to make one of two errors in applying the Bible. Either they give too little attention to application, or they give too much attention to it. So I wanted to hear from you, maybe from past experiences, um, what really, really ha have you seen this? You know, what is the problem with having too little of application or too much of application? And why do you think is that? What are the causes that people, either teachers or preachers or even ourselves in our personal study of the Bible, why do you think is that? What is the problem with the too little or too much? Uh, why do you think the reason is that? And maybe uh, give me some examples that you have heard. All right, Kathy, right here. The lack of true teaching. Mm -hmm. That would be more where, Kathy, when you say the lack of true teaching. Too much application, too little. Too little. Because too little. Mm. you weren't taught mm -hmm. first the meaning mm -hmm. and then how to apply it. Mm -hmm. Until I came to GCF, 
I was never taught mm -hmm. how to apply things to my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts? I'm glad we're addressing this because I've actually heard um, teachers, preachers saying it's not my job to teach applications. Mm -hmm. It's the Holy Spirit job, Holy Spirit's job to do that. So mm -hmm. I, I'm excited that we're doing this. But scripture itself has applications, you mm -hmm. know, walk in a manner worthy, be mm -hmm. kind and tender hearted, you know. Mm -hmm. So the application is actually in scripture. So mm -hmm. I think it's important that we actually talk, talk about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other thoughts? What do you hear? Too little or too much? Dylan has one here. Um. Yeah, just the um, experience from the past for me is actually applying, spending so much time on applications that really aren't driven from the text. Mm. Um, the applications are humanistic in nature, mm. um, not godly in nature, mm -hmm. and seen as relevant, and scripture is backdoored as seen as not relevant mm -hmm. and not worthy of devise or deriving applications from. Mm -hmm. Well, then I actually have a follow-up on that. Um, in your experience, just seeing this kind of too, folk, too much focus on application, why do you think is that? Why do you think these people are doing it? I would say that the temptation is itching ears um, and pragmatism mm -hmm. over um, true biblical application. Mm -hmm. uh, so 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. um, sitting through a service one time years ago, it was applied not to purity, but to mm -hmm. exercise. Mm -hmm. And so nothing wrong with exercise, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul refutes the demand of exercise over spiritual disciplines, mm -hmm. uh, which are far more in nature of godliness. So just the misapplication mm -hmm. uh, to appease crowds. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably even, um, it's hard to derive great applications sometimes when looking at a passage, so it's work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering whether or not uh, some of it is just sloth and study. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, I think there was... Um, you have two kind of people approaching the Bible, I, I think, that does uh, wanting to be relevant and wanting to apply straight to Scripture. Sometimes I give them grace for a lack of um, training. They don't know any better. They, they really weren't taught how to um, go from Scripture to application and not oh, I have an idea in mind, and i got to find something in the scripture that backs this up. So f for us that have been studying this methodology for, I don't know, what, five months now, I think we can see um, the lack of preparation. So maybe what Dylan is addressing there, the sloth, this is hard work to get to the meaning from a reading of scripture, understanding its context, understanding its grammar, understanding the history behind it, and then you get the meaning, and then the principle, because the meaning might not be is it exactly what it looked like then for the Old Testament readers. It, it's the same meaning, it has a bridge that connects them, right? And then as we apply to our lives, it, it looks different than maybe to the original audience. The principle is the same, the meaning is the same, but the way we apply might look different. And so I, I have concerns when I do hear uh, sermons like that, that it is so focused on telling stories or... Um, now, even from a counseling standpoint, I, I do see this so often. Um, we have... You know when you pick up a biblical counseling book, that was written by someone that did have theological training and one that didn't. But whenever you start reading, there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of um, you know, disjointed scripture passages being referred to. Some of them are not necessarily bad. Again, should we, what Dylan is using the example there, should we exercise? Is that a good thing for us as believers? Yes, we should be good stewards of our body um, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is that passage in 1 Corinthians the passage for it? No. 
Um, it, it's really focusing on, on purity and glorifying God in your body through purity. So you might be saying even not anything heretical, but it's just not coming from that text. Does that make sense? All right. Now, um, I think the, this danger of too much application, um, you see either people that didn't have a whole lot of training or they had their training focusing so much on this that they neglect the exegesis of the Bible. What is then the other danger, the other extreme of too little of application? Have you seen it? And why do you think is that? Yeah, I can say that I've seen in some denominations or other places, um, I guess, I mean, looking at it, I would say it's false doctrine. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking they're teaching the right thing, but teaching it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, or having a false view of piety or humility mm-hmm. in saying it would not be humble of me to teach or preach the gospel because then I'm saying I know what somebody else needs. Mm-hmm. Yet we're told go into the world and teach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, show them all things ever I've shown you. Well, you can't do part of it and be following the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So that false doctrine, I know there are denominations, again, who just, they would look down on, hey, you can't tell someone they need, the, they need Christ for as a savior. Mm-hmm. You have to let them come to it, and you're being uh, unchristian to even say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think what is getting at is um, uh, normally, because I'm trying to make the, the distinction between those that focus a lot on doctrine and those that have a lot of doctrine no, and very little application. Um, I would say, yeah, maybe there is. Um, I remember watching a, a TV preacher once. I was staying with a family in Northern California, and they were, you know, kind of uh, prosperity gospel kind of church. And, you know, he made me sit through <laughs> the sermon of this, this guy. I don't remember the name of the preacher. But in any case, he uh, was, like, quoting the Greek text and um, just... Boy, it sounded so eloquent. And then as you got to the application part, I was like, that's not there. You know, it's just you're forcing something. I think my the danger is normally those that focus a lot on doctrine, and it's good doctrine, and they don't give a lot of application. I, I You know, honoring the place where I came from, TMS, right, we, we really focus on exegesis, and we love... Uh, seeing scriptures well taught in his, con- in his historical, grammatical um, background. And yet there's just so much emphasis on that that it's just easy to make a statement like what Cherry said. You know, um, the Spirit is going to apply it to, to, to the church. Let the, let the Spirit work and does the Spirit do that? Absolutely he does. Uh, but we can't presume that people are tracking yeah, Michael, you want to add there? Yeah. I mean, just a couple passages that come to mind. I think of 1 Corinthians 13, where mm-hmm. obviously Paul, when you read his epistles, the first half usually deals with theology and doctrine, but mm-hmm. he transitions and segues into saying, in light of this, this is how you ought to live. In light mm-hmm. of God's mercies, based on Romans 1 to 11, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah. This is your holy act of worship, you know? So, and if you have all knowledge but not love, you are considered nothing or a mm-hmm. clanging symbol, you know. So yeah. James 1, we have to be listeners and doers of the word. And the goal is not that, you know, legalism can be a danger in too much application. Do these five things and you will be blessed yes. or you'll be made right with God. Mm-hmm. But it's understanding doctrine so that we may apply it, so that we may be sanctified and become mm-hmm. more Christ-like. So they go hand in hand, and there has to be that healthy balance. Yeah, yeah, very good. I, I do appreciate that. I think there is um, almost a dichotomy, uh, not a dichotomy, but some, they put, sometimes they oppose their uh, um, different things and opposing, conflicting things, the doctrine and the application, and they shouldn't. One uh, derives from the other, right? The application derives from the doctrinal part, from the theological principles that are being taught in the Bible. Um, but at the same time, the doctrine was given with a purpose. 
um, the Gospel of John, he states his purpose. I am writing these things so that you may believe. So there, there is an action, that there is a response required of us. Um, and, and I'm saying this because I, you know, being, counseling people and preaching at the same time, you know, I think especially last year was interesting to, to have a little bit of both worlds. And I am, I come to the counseling meeting and I was like, okay, this addressed their problem. That sermon already addressed their problem. And as I'm talking to them and trying to see if they made the connection, it's like it totally went over their head. And that's where sometimes the private ministry of the word, you know, brings it to bear. It's like, you know, we discussed the other day on um, Sunday school or fellowship groups. That principle is really relevant for what you're dealing with here. You know, we studied its context, but it, it does have an implication for your life. And let's flesh this thing out here. Um, I think it, it is very helpful. But it's interesting how we can assume that someone is, even in counseling, I would say I, I teach the whole principle, and they're nodding, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, and then and the next week, it, 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 it's just like it, it meant nothing. Why is that? Because I, I think there is a level of uh, really wanting to absorb that, those principles to your own life. You know, I just don't want to be a listener, and that's where I, I want to get here. Uh, maybe let's turn to James chapter 1. Um, we can have the best exposition, the best applications coming from the pulpit, and yet if we're not committed to respond to the word in, in the same degree, it, it will mean nothing. So James chapter 1, 22 to 25. Actually, let me give an opportunity here. Any of the ladies that have been studying James on their Bible study has this passage memorized. Any of the ladies? Okay, you got you to gotta do homework. <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. Kathy is just whispering a few of the, the verses here. So verse 22, he says, You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And a scripture was fulfilled, which, well, wait a minute. Am I in the right one? Chapter 1. I'm reading chapter 2. Um, sorry. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely, merely hearers who delude themselves. Um, for I, I just like this part. It says, who delude this, themselves? Right? We can self-deceive by equating our knowledge of Scripture, our sitting under good preaching, by listening to good sermons, reading good books, and saying, oh, I, I know, I'm walking with the Lord and, but prove yourselves. You know how you prove yourself? And not merely delude yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and had gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law and the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. It, it, it also reminds us even of Jesus' word, right? If, you're, if you listen um, to my words and, and do them, you will be blessed, and it, it, it will be compared like a man who built his house on a, on a rock, and not a man who builds his, rise, uh, his house on the sand. So as James wrote, we're not to merely listen to the word, we are also to do what it says. In verse 25, James said that it, listening to the word is like looking at it. The man even looks intently to the perfect law. God's word is here portrayed as a mirror that we look and reflects our nature, it, it reflects to us our sinfulness. So see how you are. 
um, see where you need to be. Um, it, it's, you know, the mirrors were a little bit different in the first century than the mirrors that we have today, so they were a little bit harder to see, not as clearly as we see today. But one of the purpose of the mirror is uh, you look at yourself so you, you know what needs to be fixed. Right? If your hair is untidy, you will see where you need to make a little bit work. Uh, if your face is, uh, you know, dirty or for the ladies that put makeup on, um, they want to see where the things go. <laughs> so y you look at it and see what needs to be fixed and you fix it. But he's saying that someone looks at a mirror and walks away without fixing themselves. They didn't do anything. Uh, the person that looks at that mirror and see where, you know, what areas do I need to grow in? And not just the, you know, the putting off of sin, but in what areas I, I can put on Christ-likeness? In what areas I need to renew my thought process, my affections that need to, to change? So that comes from um, applying it and putting it to work, all right? We deceive ourselves into thinking that we have fulfilled our obligations before God when actually we have not. Uh, Martin Luther wrote that the Bible is not merely to be repeated or known, but to be lived and felt. Um, I am sorry for my counselee sometimes because I ask them questions to death. Um, I, you know, read that passage. Now explain it to me because we already studied, you know, so I'm not going to... Do it again and explain and say the same thing. And I said, so, so what? What is that? How does that apply to your situation? And, um, and they just keep repeating. I'm like, well, that's way too broad. That's way too general. How does that <laughs> apply directly to you? You know, you study the context. You're not um, incurring the error of proof texting here. This is, we studied this passage. We know what it means. And there is a direct correlation to what we're studying here. How does that apply? Uh, what is the specifics? What are the specific ways that you're going to live this out? So I, I, I really like the, the thought of it's not just about repeating it. It's not about just rephrasing it, but being uh, very specific on how you're going to do it. Interestingly, one of the classic passages, the inspiration of Scripture, which states, all Scripture is breathed out by God, this Second Timothy, so maybe keep it there open, because we might refer to this passage um, a few other times here. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. <clears throat> he says... Uh, that the Bible is useful for teaching. Uh, it, it shows us God's ways, right? It shows, uh, shows you the path you should walk on. Um, and I use this chart here, I think, in our introductory class on biblical counseling on how it really it describes discipleship, right, for us on our growth and our walk with the Lord. It, we have a doctrine, right, that has a, a, a practical application for our lives. It shows us the path to walk on. It instructs us, shows you how you can stay on that path and or rebuking, calling our attention to those times we fail. So it's the reproof part. It shows you where we've gotten off the path. Um, and then it says that it's, also helpful for correction or for correcting. It restores us back to an obedient path. It shows us how to get back onto the path. And then some translations use the word instruction or uh, instruction in righteousness or training in righteousness. It is that, you know, once you have come back to the discipleship, right, and come back to your walk with the Lord, then you can find instruction, Okay, um, so there's all that usefulness uh, of, of um, a true disciple of Christ and that one little um, path that goes off there and doesn't come back. It's really how you know that people are believers or not because they go off of that and they don't receive the reproof. 
they have been taught scripture, but they go off the path and do not come back. A true disciple, you know, they need reproof, they need correction. We need correction every day, but we go back to the path and we continue to be trained in righteousness. So as a result of these four ways in which the word of God works, the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, verse 17 says, for every good work. The words thoroughly equipped translate true Greek words with similar meanings. They could be rendered adequate and equipped. Our first word means in fit shape or condition. The second word uh, is all together fit. You're not only they're equipped um, and in shape, they are um, thoroughly equipped. These two words occur only here in the New Testament. And the idea in these two words is that God wants each believer to be so influenced by scriptures that he's ready to live for and serve the Lord effectively in a Christ-honoring way. That's the work of, of the word in our lives. Now it should be. Many statements in the scripture indicate that the Bible is given for us for more than satisfying our curiosity about what God is like, what he has done in the past, and what he will do in the future. I, I can even have people tell me how this truth applies in general. And then I ask, so how did you live this out this week? Um, it's wonderful that you can articulate this truth, but how did you really live this out? Uh, that was one of the most challenging parts for me at the um, going to the biblical counseling program because it, it was almost artificial <laughs> in a sense. We had to do a paper, you write a paper, then you know, whatever, whatever it was, given a passage to study or giving a, um, a topic to research from in light of scriptures. And then you would write all that and it would give application and you would give the specific ways that you're going to put into practice. Then you would, give, you would be given like a week or I don't, a month to, to live that out, sometimes a whole semester where you would describe how you lived that out, actually. How did you put into practice? And boy, that was challenging. Uh, one, to come up with the specific ways, and then to look back, it's like, boy, I, I deceived myself, thinking that I was being a doer of the word, but I wasn't, because I have not changed. Um, and if that's the case, then the word didn't do its effect. Um, but it, it was one of the frustrating parts. It was awesome. I, I, I grew up a lot on, the, on those projects. But it felt like, oh, you have a timeline. Come on. Get going. <laughs> you know, do it. And it's challenging. Um, the, one of the books that I, I use here, he says, uh, the scriptures are called a fire to consume false teaching, a hammer to shatter people's hard hearts. Food, uh, food to sustain one's soul, and light to guide our paths, and a sword for offense against Satan. Psalm 119, I mean, it's just read that is application again and again and again. You know, your word restore me. Your word makes me wise. It, it helps me to do this. It helps me to do that. Um, so having been born again by the word, as First Peter 1.23 says, believers ought to grow in the Lord in the same way by the same means. So God's word. In application, then, we are concerned about relating the Bible to life today. This involves seeing how the Bible written to our to initial audiences thousand years ago relates to audience today and how we should respond to it. So I'm going to do <clears throat> briefly here um, a little study um, that you will find in your book, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, chapter 8, where it says meaning and application, so the other half and he does a little study on uh, Philippians 4.13. Just to be careful with the time, uh, um, I might not go over every one of those steps, the five steps through Philippians 4, but you can check in your book how he explained those things. So I do want to say things that are not there in the book. <laughs> and the first one is why a true application is avoided. Right, we we kind of touched a little bit on that. Um, and here's four reasons for that. One is interpretation itself equated, is equated with application. They explain the meaning. Right? The meaning of the passage is explained, 
And you think, oh, that's the application. No, that was just the meaning. That was you moving from the interpretation process to say, this is the theological principle that that passage is trying to convey. So the student of scripture sets down his pen at the end of the interpretation process, failing to contemplate and to meditate upon the results of his labors. He's satisfied simply of <clears throat> by discovering the meaning of the passage. Another way that application is avoided is superficial application. Uh, superficial application is preferred over subst substantive, life-changing submission to the text. It is easier to deal with the small, easy problems of life, of one's life, than to make significant changes, put off sinful attitudes and behaviors, and put on ungodly ones. So at the end of our uh, lecture here, I'm going to spend a lot of time explaining how do we move to the general, the broad application, to the more specific that relates to our life. Obviously, just to remind you, that little chart in your book, the, the, the journey into God's Word, where you have step one, step two, and then getting all the way to our contemporary context. And remember, the whole city has like several streets, right, to illustrate the fact that there's one meaning that uh, translates into our current uh, context, but there's different streets that you can go to, can, you can go to, to apply scripture. To say then, and that's where I think the legalistic uh, practices come in, is, is to say, you now you can say, oh, this is one way that you can apply this. When you turn and say, this is the way that you have to apply this then you, you are moving to a legalistic direction. Well, the meaning of this passage is the same, but you can go different ways on, on how to apply it. Sometimes I do this with my counselees. I give them a suggestion of an application, and maybe that is not really their thing. You know, I was just, like, especially marriage counseling, when I'm giving different assignments to do, okay, how are you going to love your wife this week? And, um, you know, write her a letter, it's like, oh, I never wrote a letter. It's not my thing. You know, it's just not how I'm going to express that to her. Well, it's not, what is something that she enjoys that you can do, right? Then it's more specific to the person than, I mean, you have to obey scriptures. What that's going to look like for you is going to be different. All right, another danger here is, um, that which is most convicting and uncomfortable is most avoided, right? That, and this is just so key. We get to a passage, and we're just not really uh, willing to say, boy, this is, this is the principle. Um, I remember studying Job, <laughs> and I kept, I kept saying, I don't want to study Job because then the Lord's going to send me just this really fierce trial that I have to walk through. And it's like God is not a God of um, threats. You know, he doesn't use his words to threat us. But I, I do remember getting to um, Job chapter 2 where um, Job so wisely says, you know, shall we accept from God good only and not the bad? Um, and connecting with our passage in Ecclesiastes from a few weeks ago, um, consider the work of God because he has made one as well as the other. So even this really difficult circumstances, even my only transportation in California that I had, my only car broken down for good was his uh, will for me. And I, I, I didn't know the reasons why. Job never knew the reasons why for his... Um, situation, and yet I can acknowledge the Lord knows better, and I can rest assured um, in his ways for me. So, uh, but it is uncomfortable. Sometimes we come across a passage, and we're like, no, that really doesn't mean that. Um, you know, like we, we, we talked about the men's study on, um, yeah, the ladies weren't there, but we talk about the principle of Matthew 5, of um, if your right eye makes you stumble, right, you pluck it out. And obviously, we 
based on last week, this is not literal. <laughs> You're not going to pluck out your eye, and that's the only way. But the, the, the principle there is be radical. You, you do whatever it takes. So for guys struggling with pornography, we discussed this. Um, you know, if it means that you have go to a, a flip phone or, you know, to put yourself at as far as possible from that, you will do everything that it takes uh, to, 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 to get committed. But why people don't want to be that specific? Because it makes them comfortable, because it's going to make them change. It's going to force them to do what they don't want to do, what their flesh doesn't like. That's why people stay on that um, Many would rather ignore the implications of a biblical text has than let the word of God bring transformation. If you really take it to heart, Lord, I know this is hard. I know that I, I, my flesh doesn't want to do it, but please bring my flesh into submission to your will in my life. Number four, that which brings about the greatest emotional response is valued above that which brings about a true change in will and character. Many often seek experience rather than obedience. And that's what Dylan is talking about here, where it's the, the fuzzy feeling, you know, the, that you get from a sermon like that. Oh, it just feels so wonderful. Uh, but what is that coming from? Is that just words of man or the word of God? I think one of my favorite preachers um, is, a, is a TMS guy. He's not that... It was not a Joe MacArthur, <laughs> but um, is <clears throat> Dr. Adams, um, goodness, Adam Tyson, not Dr. Adams, Adam Tyson. He does such a good job at explaining the passage to, like, in depth, the context, the grammar, everything. And then after he'd done all of that, he brings such a clear application Every time I would come out of his sermons, like, oh, how miserable creature that I am and what, how much I need the Lord. Um, and I think it should be that way. You know, I think that the, the scripture, the study of scripture should um, lead us to that place of conviction, that place of encouragement. Uh, I'm disheartened with trials. Um, and I'm listening a word of encouragement from scripture. Oh, I just know what I have to do now to... You know, find strength in the Lord. Um, I really appreciated Eric uh, preaching on First uh, Samuel, where and he explained that uh, little verse where it says that David found strength in the Lord in midst of that trial. Right, he strengthened himself in the Lord. I mean, it, it, you get to the specifics when you lost your job, when things are tough with your family you can run to the Lord. Uh, if you have him, right? unlike Saul, that was without the Lord's guidance and is spinning around trying to do his own thing without the Lord's strength. Didn't have that ability. But as believers, we do have that ability. We have the spirit and we can be specific. All right? I am getting um, too close to our mark here. So what I'm going to do, I will... Let you go through the steps there, and I will discuss some more things that you won't have on your paper there. All right, um, so on the step three where he says, cross the precipitalizing bridge, so made up word that he made, Duval um, and Hayes, uh, cross the precipitalizing bridge and list the theological principles communicated by the passage. So how do you do that? Simply write down the principle or principles that the passage communicates. When you identify the theological truths or principles conveyed by a passage, you are discerning what is a timeless, uh, what is timeless in the passage in the beginning of the bridge to get between the biblical context and the contemporary world. He uses Philippians um, 4:13 where he restates, you know, it's that passage where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you can just restate, believers can learn to be content in a variety of circumstances through Christ who gives them strength. Or you can say, Christ will give believers strength to be content in a variety of trying circumstances that come as a result of following him faithfully. Paul was suffering 
and is struggling for being faithful to the Lord. And it wasn't, uh, I have a special power to do whatever I can, I, I put in my mind. It is really, I can endure all these bad stuff because Christ strengthens me. It's very different. Um, now, I want to discuss here the distinction between a descriptive passage and a prescriptive passage. The biggest challenge for the interpret that the interpreter face is distinguishing what is directly applicable to me and what is indirectly applicable to me. Right? To make this distinction, a critical task of the interpreter is to determine the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. So what are these big words here? Descriptive, te descriptive texts. There are those portions of scripture which contain teachings or exhortations which are limited in their application to a particular audience. Okay, so for instance, if you go to, the, I think the book of Acts is a, a very good example of this. Um, you have the description of how the Holy Spirit first came to the disciples in Pentecost. They had that, you know, they heard a noise, they saw a little tongue, a little flame on, on people, um, and it, it just very strange things. And they started speaking in tongues as an immediate result. And we look at that and say, oh, I need an experience like this. <laughs> it, it, that text is prescriptive. It's not saying, thou shalt receive the Holy Spirit in these exact same ways that the disciples did. Well, and even through the book of Acts, <clears throat> you see that not everybody that, had, that received the Holy Spirit had the exact same experience that those in Pentecost. They were different. So it, Acts is very helpful in terms of describing those things, but there's a still an application for us on those, uh, on those passages. And then there's prescriptive texts, and normally I think a clear example of this is the letters, the New Testament letters. And Paul is clearly giving directives. Walk in a way worthy of the Lord. Um, put aside all malice. Speak the truth to each other. Speak the truth in love. Uh, set aside lying. Um, and obey, children, obey your parents. Those are normative. They are prescriptive. They're prescribing to us the way that we should live. So those portions of Scripture which contain teachings and exhortations which extend in their direct application to all people universally. Now, there is a discussion here where some people overemphasize, well, everything in the Bible is descriptive because we had a total different audience, we had a total different group of, of you know, a historical context there, so therefore those, um, they're just descriptive. We have to find principles that relate, but they're just descriptive. So there's a danger in there. And then there's the other danger where you read the Bible thinking that everything is prescriptive, that everything is a command to obey, or a promise that you have to hold on to. So, for instance, I use this many times, the Proverbs 22, uh, I think 6, where it says, you, you teach the child the way that they should go, and they'll not depart from it. And people take that verse to say, if I do right <clears throat> with my child, they're going to turn out all right. This is a promise. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a sealed deal. <laughs> um, I do this, I get this. And then we have a lot of parents that come to me just, oh, I did everything right. And my child did not turn out all right. Did God fail me? Did I fail? Or, or they're beating themselves to death and anal overanalyzing, oh, my poor parent, my poor parenting. When I turn to them, and I, I think it's Isaiah, sorry for not having the exact, so that's the problem with impromptu thinking, um, where the Lord talks about him as a parent. And he says, children have I reared, and they rebelled against me. Isaiah 2. See, that's the blessing of a helper. Um, Isaiah chapter 2, where it 
you know, the Lord says, you know, children have I reared and they rebelled. Talk about perfect parenting. He did the, all the right things. He was gracious. He was just. He was loving, compassionate. All the things that a perfect parent could do. And, well, but the children didn't turn out all right. So there are exceptions, right? Oh, if you obey the Lord, you're going to be blessed. Well, what about Job? He obeyed the Lord. So we ought to be careful to make everything as normative and, and um, as, or taking them as promises. We need to understand what genre this is. Is this a, literature, uh, a wisdom literature? They're proverbial sayings. Or is this a command to be obeyed? And if it is a command, how does that relate to my context? I am a new covenant believer. As you read Old Testament law, for instance, there are plenty of commands there. But how does those commands, they still apply to us. They're still normative to us, but the principle looks different because we are in a different context. All right? So I'm really excited, actually, for us to study uh, Old Testament law. How do you apply some of those commands of washing you know, and you are unclean for seven days, and how do you apply that? I mean, they're still normative for us, but they look different because we're in a new covenant. So, I think we'll be exciting. Don't miss it. Um, all right, so the solution really for this kind of dichotomy is Second Timothy 3, 16 and, and 17. All the scripture is breathed out by God, and all the scripture is applicable to us. Now, it some passages are prescriptive and some passages are descriptive. Romans 15.4 also completes that thought. It says, For whatever was re- written in former days was written for instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So even the Old Testament, the former scriptures, they are still applicable to us. That's why we preach from both. We don't preach just from the New Testament. Because we know and we firmly believe that all scripture is inspired and all scripture is applicable to our lives. All right, so here are some principles to help us to you know, distinguish if a passage is descriptive or prescriptive. Um, McCall King is the scholar that put those principles, and I think they're helpful. Does the context limit the recipient on application? Uh, Does subsequent revelation limit the recipient in the application? So, for instance, when, especially on the Old Covenant, um, you you, you read about the promises given to Abraham. I cannot take those promises. I'm not Abraham. I'm not a descendant of Abraham. But later on, Paul talks about Abraham being the father of, of faith. Then how can, okay, now he is expanding the group from the Israelites to both Israelites, the Jews, and the Gentiles. And what connects them? Faith. Um, Faith in Christ. So is my understanding of this specific teaching in conflict with other biblical teaching? Um, That's that one passage of Proverbs 22, 6, to to look at that as a promise. You know, if you you rear your child in the right way, they're going to turn out in the right way. Well, there are are there other passages of Scripture that seems to conflict with this explanation that I'm coming up with? Then is the specific teaching normative as well as the principle? Does the Bible treat the historical context as normative? Or does the Bible treat the cultural context as limited? Then I think these following questions here, they're really helpful as, as, you know, as, as a way of application to getting even leading you up to the application. Um, is there a truth to be believed in that text, you know, the description of who God is? Is there a truth to believe about some other doctrine, salvation, end of times? Is there a command to be obeyed here? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? Is there an error in behavior to avoid? Is there an error in thinking to avoid? Is there a condition to meet? I remember um, Ezekiel 
14, um, where sometimes I'm talking to people and they tell me, oh, I'm this way because my parents um, treated me this way or because my parents modeled life for me this way. And I take them to Ezekiel 14 where um, the prophet is just guiding people to say, you know, you can have a wicked parent, wicked as they come, and you have a child that is godly. Then you can have a very godly parent that did all these things, you know, well, and then their child turned out to be a wicked. You just read through, through Kings and Chronicles and we'll see that, you know. Um, and then you have a godly parent with godly children and wicked parents with wicked children. And the conclusion at, on each of those sections is each person is accountable for what they do with their background. I can either follow on my parents' steps or I can follow on the Lord's steps. So I think this is just such a, uh, a good passage for changing our thinking on determinism or even um, a, a humanistic approach to abuse or mistreatment. Oh, I'm this way because I was abused. I mean, it explains, but you don't have to be this way. We're not eternal victims, right? Um, I think about uh, Christ and promises to us that he will always be with us. And Paul's description of a believer is that we are more than conquerors through him. We're not forever marred by that trauma and that horrible experience that some of us might have had. We are more than conquerors in Christ. Yes, those things are, are hard to deal with, but we, our thought process can be renewed and can be changed as we dwell on the promises of God. So is there a condition to meet? Is there a principle to follow for personal guidance? Is there a wisdom to shape a Christian thinking? Or is there a, a prayer, reading through Paul's letters, right? We can see prayers there that help us and instruct us how to pray. Um, I think of Nehemiah uh, and some of his prayers are just so helpful, so instructional to us. So, then I, I do want to skip here for the very last uh, step. Um, as you're trying to get down to the application part, observe how the principles in the text address the original situation. Um, we don't want to uh, disregard that, that part. Um, you discover a parallel situation in the contemporary context. What, what is common between these two contexts? Right? Paul was a believer, Philippians 4.13. Paul was a believer. I'm a believer too. Um, Paul was undergoing suffering because of his faithfulness to the Lord. He could have simply denied the faith and not be persecuted anymore. But because he didn't, he's being persecuted for his faith. Now, um, you might be experiencing some struggle at school. You go to a secular school or at work, you work with a bunch of unbelievers and you're being persecuted for your faith. Principle connects, right? You have, your experiences connect with that of Paul. Then, okay, how does that look like for me? Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure in the same way that Paul was able to endure because Christ strengthens me. Um, Kathy, I'm going to use an example that she gave the other day. She asked me, you know, I have sent cards that gave some of these promises. I take a text like this, and I'm not sure if that was in the right context. You know, say maybe you send a card to someone that is facing cancer, right? And um, <coughs> they shouldn't read that card and think, I'm going to beat this cancer. You know, this thing is going to be done away with. Um, if, you, if that is your approach, I can do everything. You know, I can beat everything. If you're reading the text in these terms, that's not helpful. But the same passage can be applied in those circumstances. You know, even if I don't beat this cancer, I have a hope in Christ, and I can endure the pain because I have a glorious hope, and Christ strengthens me. Does that make sense? 
So I thought it was a good example, and I was like, okay, Kathy, let's just use it for the class. Um, so then let me give you a little bit more on the specifics, all right? Think of application in terms of relationship, your relationship with God, um, to different people in your life, the home, church, work, school, yourself, um, and, or Satan, or the world. Recognize the application can be in the form of improved attitudes as well as improved actions. Attitudinal responses may take longer to develop. So, for instance, dealing with anger, and you want to learn how to deal with anger. I mean, you really want to get down to your motivations. You want to get down to specific actions and the counter uh, actions to those things. Uh, make your applications personal. When you stay just, oh, Paul is saying that Christians should live in a certain way. No, you, when you're getting down to application, you move from they or we to I, me, mine, we, us. You're getting closer to your to how that's going to look like for yourself. So be specific. Instead of saying, I should be more like Jesus, or I should love my wife more, or I'll try to control my anger better, try to say, I, will should, I should love my wife more, being specific, I will say, I will take my wife out to dinner this Friday evening to her favorite restaurant. I'm being specific. I am demonstrating my love to her through a specific action. Is that the only way that a husband can love his wife? No. So just, just a reminder that there's one way to apply this is not the way to apply this. A lot of, uh, of preachers of legalism take applications and say, this is it. This is the way that you can leave this out. All right. I'm going to say it. Homeschooling. Some parents will say, this is the way that you can rear your child, that you can raise your child in the fear or in admonition of the Lord. No, that is one way that you can do that. That is not the only way. Yes, there are dangers in public school, but you train them. I went to public school, I didn't, and I think I turned out all right. My parents were wise enough to guide me in, in, into the dangers of those things. So we ought, ought to be careful that we don't pick up an application and say, this is the only way you can leave this text out. All right? Sorry if I stepped in some toes there. Um, adding a time element also will be helpful. You know, um, I will do this on Friday. When I'm giving assignments to someone that they're practical assignments, I, I, I'll ask them, okay, so when do you have a free evening? Friday. All right, so Friday is the day that you're going to take her on a date. Um, when do you guys have more time to talk, you know, and you're not in different activities? Okay, so you're going to take this time here to discuss and, and ask her specifically, how, how have I been hurting you? with my words, and what words upset you the most, you know, so, and I'm going to do this on Thursday, because that's when we have a whole evening free for the two of us, and the kids are not here, they're in school, they're doing whatever, so you be specific, you put a time that you're going to put that into practice, um, and if you have someone that is helping you, or you have an accountability with someone, you can even have them ask you a week later, um, how did you do, right? Um, okay, I went way over here. So um, if you have any questions, please, please feel free to, to come over. Um, I do want to encourage you to work on the assignments. And again, um, if you are interested in studying a specific passage, please come give me your name, and I will assign you a passage, it could be from the Old Testament, it could be from the New Testament, and you're going to work through this whole process here, all the way to application, to the end of the class, all right? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy over us, and for the rich promises that we have, and for the comfort that we receive, and the encouragement, and uh, the exhortations that bring us conviction, Learn to pray that you would help us, as um, James states, not to be listeners only, but to be doers of your word.
Let us be zealous in our study of Scripture, uh, not to just uh, be accumulating knowledge to ourselves or deceiving ourselves that just because we read a book or listened to a sermon that we know how that relates to us. We need your spirit. Uh, um, We know that it is him who illumines, who gives clarity to us from Scripture and is also the one who moves us to obedience. It is God who does the will and to work. Lord, you are 100% responsible for our obedience. And we know that we ourselves, too, are 100% responsible for our obedience. But we do that in the strength that you supply. So I do pray that you would help us to build our house on a rock of obedience to your word. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.